must bring countries together to protect the southern ocean. Greening trade, ocean protection and governance. Greening agri-food, making agricultural production sustainable. The trade, environment and development nexus. Rethinking Europe. Hi, and welcome to Rethinking Europe, a podcast from Europe, Jacques Delors, discussing the XYZ of environmental sustainability. My name is Gail Rego, and I am your host. As this is the very first episode of this podcast, allow me to briefly share with you what's coming up. In this podcast, we'll be combining both stories and perspectives of junior policymakers and European residents on the one hand, and senior policy experts and EU decision makers on the other. The podcast is split into two parts, starting with the first person narrative and followed by an interview. Both types of guests will be sharing their views on a number of pressing issues when it comes to environmental sustainability. So without further ado, let's get to it. Today we're going to be talking about the Carbon Border Adjustment Mechanism, also known as the EU CBAM. But what exactly is the CBAM? And is it a powerful tool in the fight against climate change? To answer these questions, I'll be speaking with Maria Elena Scopio, who is the Director of the Directorate Indirect Taxation and Tax Administration at the European Commission, responsible for this EU regulation. But before jumping in, let's listen to Sarah Svensson, who is a policy analyst at the European Roundtable on Climate Change and Sustainable Transition. She will share her story and interest in climate matters and her role in connection with the EU CBAM and other climate policies. My name is Sarah Svensson and I work as a policy analyst for the European uh, Roundtable on Climate Change and Sustainable Transition, the ERCST, a bit shorter, and live in Brussels. I'm from Sweden, but with a Dutch mother as well. So I grew up in a small suburb outside of Stockholm in the nature. <laughs> Actually, my little brother, who's one year younger than me, he was always the nature hero when we were small, saving flies from drowning out of ponds and caring about the orangutans in the rainforest. He stopped eating palm oil for when he was like eight years old, and he still hasn't started again. So I think he was more the young activist, and I was the big sister who was studying and responsibly <laughs> trying to become uh, aware of, of these topics. I don't remember when I decided, but I feel like I've always known that I wanted to work within this area because it's this interesting combination of technology, science, and infrastructure and politics and it's really incorporates everything that's going on around the world at the same time but it also feels very meaningful and to have that on a day-to-day -day basis is important to me and I think increasingly important to a lot of people. I studied social sciences at high school and then after I finished high school I decided to move to the Netherlands since I didn't really know what I was going to do with my life. 
I was working there at a gluten-free warehouse, collecting gluten-free products and sending them away to customers. And I was actually very bored. And um, there was one podcast, a Swedish podcast called the CSR, Corporate Social Responsibility Podcast, that I'd listened to all the time while I was walking around there in this gluten-free warehouse. I listened to all the episodes. I emailed the people in the podcast and asked, what should I do with my life if I want to uh, work with the same things as you? I went back to Sweden, I studied economics in Lund in the south of Sweden for five years. And after that, I moved to Brussels to do an internship at the European Parliament in climate policy. And then I applied to the ERCST. On a day-to-day basis, it's very mixed, but my main focus area is in climate and trade. More specifically, I work with the CBAM, the Carbon Border Adjustment Mechanism, what now in the EU has been called the CBAM for the last couple of years, is a way to make foreign producers that produce products outside of the EU pay the same price that local producers within the EU pay on carbon. So it's based on that the EU producers are subject to a carbon price system called the emissions trading system, where they pay a certain amount of euros per ton of CO2 that they emit when they're producing these products. The CBAM wants you, when you export your product to the EU, to calculate in the exact same way that European producers do for this fairness effect to come in. Since we are facing some serious uh, problems with emitting too much carbon dioxide into the atmosphere, which is causing climate change, we have to incentivize production out of products and all of our day-to-day activities really to decrease the amount of carbon that we emit into the atmosphere. And one way to do this is to put a price on it so it becomes more expensive to produce things which emit a lot of carbon than to produce things which produce little carbon. So when the trade people have had to also see that climate is going to become an important part of global trade. So one of the challenges, for example, that we've seen now is that The CBAM has one way, one method of calculating emissions, which is very complicated. But I think it would be also an opportunity to reach more of a global consensus, maybe, and agree on a way that we could do this so that it doesn't have to be done a million times and to create some sort of standards that we could use. And with the European Green Deal, we are aiming high. Europeans are calling on us to drive the change. Now it's up to us to answer their call. Thank you so much. I think the EU and what goes on here in Brussels is really in the front runner in a lot of the climate change policy. For example, the emissions trading scheme and also now the CBAM. Climate policy is an interesting topic out of a youth perspective because of course there's a lot of young people that work with it and I think also a lot of more young people that are starting to work in completely unrelated areas that are bringing it into their fields more and more. 
when you work in climate change, you notice there are a lot of older people as well who have been following this their entire life. And it's uh, what is extremely motivating at the ERCST is that I get to meet and work with a lot of these people who have been following it since the beginning of the UNFCCC negotiations and the Paris Agreements negotiations and have been there at all the COPs. As we have heard from Sarah Svensson, there are still a number of challenges that need to be addressed in relation to CBAM. And now on to the second part of our podcast. Join me in welcoming Maria Elena Scopio, who is the director of the Directorate in Direct Taxation and Tax Administration in the Directorate General for Taxation and Customs Union at the European Commission, which aims to develop and implement tax policy across the EU on indirect taxation and notably on environmental taxation. Maria Elena is responsible, among other things, for one of the flagship initiatives of the EU Green Deal, the EU CBAM. Maria Elena, hello and welcome. Thank you very much. Good morning. Let's get right to it. So what exactly is the Carbon Border Adjustment Mechanism, or CBAM for short, and why is it needed? Well, it is not a mystery that we are now having an unprecedented climate crisis. It is clear from this summer what happened all around the world. The temperature is rising. We have the climate, pollution and resource crisis. We need to act immediately. It's not if, it's only when and how. So far, Europe has been at the forefront and uh, with the ETS was able to establish a system according to which the emissions of our own producers of uh, intensive goods are at least monitored. What happens when you put burdens of this sort on the production is that the production tends to move and this is called carbon leakage. To avoid that, in the beginning, the ETS was equipped with a number of free allowances that were given to the producers a sort of right to pollute in order not to move abroad. However, those free allowances are supposed to end. And in order to tackle the problem of carbon leakage, we decided to mirror all the burdens that are put uh, by the EDS on our own producers to the goods that are crossing the borders of the European Union. This will enter into force gradually, so there will be no double burden, meaning that the more the free allowances will be discontinued, the more CBAM will enter into force. It is an environmental measure of truly climate protection character. And also, we are giving a very long transitional period that will lead to evaluate how the system would work in practice in order to adapt it, amend it, and give sufficient time to everyone to adapt. Can you tell me a little bit more about how CBAM contributes to the EU's climate change mitigation efforts, and if you believe that it is or it can be a powerful tool in the fight against climate change? Yes, well, CBAM was announced already in 2019 as part of the European Green Deal. It was proposed in 2021 as part of the Fit for 55 and was adopted this year in May. We are so ambitious. We signed up to the Paris Agreement targets that are to reduce carbon emission by 2030 of 55% and become climate neutral by 2050. So it is 
clearly one of the tools that are in our list and that have been all but one, the Energy Tax Directive, adopted already by the legislators. It is clearly important because we are not losing the ambition that we are putting in our climate measures. It is also important because it has started a a dynamic according to which we have more and more third countries willing to talk to us, willing to take up the same measures, countries that never approached us to discuss that. Never, ever. So only for that, it would already be a very good thing that we have proposed it because it has started an international debate that was basically non-existent apart from the COP and the agreements that were taking place before. It's clear that successful CBAM is a CBAM that stops to exist, that ceases to exist, because it means that everyone has reached the same ambitions of the EU and there is absolutely no need to have any adjustment at the border, and that's what we hope. How might the implementation of CBAM affect trading partners outside the EU, especially those from carbon-intensive industries? Let me say that... uh, CBAM does not target countries, it targets goods. And goods are judged upon their merits, meaning the way in which they are produced. So each good is declared upon the emissions that have been produced during its creation. And uh, therefore, there is a need for the producing installations in third countries to calculate those emissions. There is then a burden on the importers rather than on the exporter because it is the importer who has to declare the emissions or any other tax of similar kind that has been paid in another country. It's clear that a payment on the import of any good entering another country is increasing the price. But that is only to have a level playing field with what is produced in-house and it is subject to our stringent rules. We don't discriminate in any sense between one country or the other. According to our studies, the level of exports towards the European Union from these countries is extremely low and it only refers to specific situations like uh, Mozambique uh, with a very, very exposed for one specific good. However, I would like to say that uh, Making exemptions for certain countries would really undermine the whole system and could also give rise to possibility of loopholes in that and would give a a wrong message because, again, we are looking at each good on its own merits. You have to consider that we are always giving targeted support to less developed countries through technology transfers, technical and financial assistance, and with the objective of developing industrial production structures. We are the biggest contributors to climate financing that is not going to stop so that is going to support the ones that are most in need. What kind of support will the EU provide concretely then to countries in the global south especially developing countries and low-income developing countries to help them to adapt to the obligations that are posed by CBAM? We are already the biggest contributor 
for climate financing in the world and in particular to these developed countries. So we will keep using the instruments we have and strengthening them. So the Neighborhood Development and International Cooperation Instrument, the Global Europe, and also the European Fund for Sustainable Development Plus. This goes on top of all the help that we are ready to give to everyone, even fully developed countries that are willing to understand better how that works or that are in the need of any help. We have prepared IT platform that should also be easy to use and on which trainings are and will be available. Of course, this all has to be WTO compatible. Therefore, we will make sure that uh, this is done in a non-discriminatory way. That's why we would prefer not to give exemptions from CBAM at the end, but to support the countries before they get to export the goods to the European Union. This brings us to kind of the next question, which is, to what extent then do you think the criticism from EU trading partners, particularly countries representing the global majority, is justified? Is the EU concerned about potential trade tensions or disputes that may arise during the implementation? And how can these possible issues also be mitigated and managed? There are a number of reasons why we have seen some concern from our own producers. The first one is the fact that, of course, by having to be subject to the disappearance of the free installations, they will compete with other producers established in other countries, in particular when they are exporting to third countries that do not apply something like our emission trading system and our CBAM at the borders. So when taken on the same ground for exports that are outside the European Union, it is clear that the EU producers will not have free allowances and will have to have a higher price for the goods that they are selling, while producers established in another country not having these measures won't have it. This is seen as a problem for the export. If we didn't have CBAM, we would have a big problem because the internal producers would not be protected, not even inside the borders of the European Union. So at least in that respect, it equalizes the situation. They would be discriminated both ways, inside and outside the European Union. Secondly, we are taking this long transitional period, which it's going to start until the 1st of January 2026, to analyze the situation. And the Commission has taken an outspoken engagement to look at possible impacts on export based on the data that we will be able to collect during the transitional period. And we will come with appropriate measures if needed. I have to say that uh, really the interest that we have gathered from a lot of main countries that are partners to the EU is very encouraging because it will limit the problem. We are slowly getting all a bit on the same on the same page, even countries you would never think of. On another kind of concerns, and this has been inside and outside the EU, there have been calls about uh, compatibility with WTO or problems also inside the European Union. There has been uh, some criticism concerning the fact that this should have been adopted by unanimity as it is considered as a tax and not as an environmental nature. I think that a debate of this kind is absolutely legitimate. It's the first time that we are having a measure 
nature of this kind. So we are learning by doing. We are honestly convinced of what we are doing and the basis, legislative and uh, also economic, on which we have been acting. But I can tell you that we are completely aware of the problem and we have taken an express engagement to look into this. Now, talking a little bit about opportunities, what opportunities might CBAM create for businesses in terms of promoting cleaner technologies, innovation and sustainable practices within their operations? And also, what are the challenges that businesses might face when implementing the EU CBAM? From the first point of view, I can say that we should distinguish from the European producers from the uh, third country producers because they both are subject to opportunities, but they vary a bit. The one they have in common is that there is a clear incentive to green their production because this is monetized immediately. You have an immediate translation into an economic burden or a relief from an economic burden. For what concerns the producers that are establishing the European Union, we are also having a lot of support through the what will be the new innovation fund that will be tangible support to the greening of the production, which in the end will result into the possibility to save some of the insta of the emission trading certificates that would have to be rendered according to the emissions produced during their own respective production system. For the installations that are outside the EU, I think that uh, it is a big incentive to consider what are the emissions that are actually producing, because a lot of those installations are not even aware of the emissions they are producing. Now, there will be a need to calculate them. And knowing what is the situation, it also leads to an awareness of uh, what is the impact on the global climate uh, situation. And it's, of course, an incentive to reduce them. Should countries where those producers are established wish to go down the same line, there could be, in the end, in some cases, the exclusion of payment. Because, of course, if those producers are in countries that are having a similar ambition, there's no need for them to have to pay twice because we are completely aligned. I think that uh, this will come. Sooner or later, all producers in the world will have to face the way in which they are producing their own goods. Maria Elena, in your view, are the concerns about burdensome data reporting requirements for the CBAM and its implementation justified? What are the challenges and complexities that may arise when determining the carbon content of imported products and ensuring the effectiveness and fairness of the mechanism? The reason why we have the transitional system is exactly to, in practice, verify all this. We gave basic methodology to calculate the emission, and this methodology will be refined towards a definitive methodology that, of course, will be published before the entry into force of the definitive regime. We are at the disposal of all the producers. We have been having general training instruments with webinars per sectors. Uh, we have um, a web page which is translated in the most spoken languages in the world and continuously updated e-learning modules. We are at their disposal physically to answer their questions. This is an extremely long transitional period. And exactly, we can only anticipate what the burden will be. And we are having the transitional period to ascertain it in practice and address it before any definitive period starts. What specific measures and strategies are you planning to put in place to facilitate a seamless transition for businesses as CBAM is implemented? 
This is a continuous work on which uh, I am also involved in the first person. We have published uh, the practical arrangement uh, in the summer. Ever since, there has been a continuous series of webinars in presence where all questions have been taken, where all the discussions have been done with the producers. And there has been a specific webinar for each of the goods of the sectors that are covered by SIBAM. Then there are e-learning modules. We keep receiving questions. We are taking note of all the different uh, concerns that there could be, be it technical, be it substantial, or just operational. And we are going to use all this information to adapt the system before it goes live. What are your reactions to the recent media reports noting that certain countries like the United States are seeking exemptions to the CBAM? And is the EU currently contemplating the possibility of granting such exemptions to certain countries? And on what basis? We welcome, first of all, the fact that there are countries that are having the same objectives as we are, no matter what, in which form they take it. The EU has taken the choice to use the pricing of carbon as a signal to consider whether emissions can be sustained or not. So CBAM works on carbon pricing. It is clear that for those countries that are fully linked to our emission trading system, it's easy because they are automatically excluded since they are subject to exactly the same burdens that are on top of our own producers. Then there are other countries that are thinking about uh, or are having similar systems, but that are not fully linked. In that case, we can have the instrument of bilateral agreements to simplify the calculation of what is uh, the residual CBAM at the border. It is clear that if we are talking about countries whose ambition is higher than the EU, they will have nothing to pay in front of us because they have already been subject to similar measures in their own country. With the United States, we have a long-standing cooperation. We are very happy that they are aware of the climate emergency. They are having a number of measures on the table. We are looking at what they are doing, but I don't envisage any kind of blank exemption just because there is a partner country who is negotiating that because, as I said, we are not targeting countries, we are targeting goods. And then it would be a bit complicated to even imagine an exemption of this kind. And my last question for you, Maria Elena, what is one key message that you want businesses and trading partners to take from this interview? We are not a nanny state and we don't try to patronize our producers, but we think about our children. We are all human beings. We all live on this planet. This can sound a bit common sense, but we really need to think about it. So if it's necessary to be ambitious and start exporting this ambitious outside this border, it is not done only in the interest of the European citizen or the European producers, because we really are on one planet. And there is nothing we can do to save it if we don't start with ourselves. That's a really wonderful, powerful message to end this on. Maria Elena, thank you so much for joining us and taking us through the Carbon Border Adjustment Mechanism. Thank you very much. It was a real pleasure. Dear listeners, thank you for listening to the first episode of the Rethinking Europe podcast, a podcast by Europe Jacques Delors. 
Grubjack Delors is a Brussels-based think tank dedicated to environmental sustainability in Europe. Thanks to a dynamic team of policy analysts, Europe Jacques Delors conducts high-level research on greening agri-food and trade as well as ocean protection and governance. If you'd like to learn more about CBAM, check out Europe Jacques Delors' greening trade section on our website www.europejacquesdelors.eu And don't forget to follow us on LinkedIn, Twitter, X and YouTube. Until next time, take care and goodbye.